Good morning, all. So fun to just hear some of your excitement and um, just the things that you're looking forward to this summer. Um, I'm very casually just noting something that I am very excited about. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Thank you. So right after church last Sunday, I was proposed to by a wonderful man named Paul. Yes. Thank you. Um, so, yes, he, he was around last weekend. He'll be here next weekend. But, yes, that was my bit of um, just excitement and joy and hope. And it's just been such a fun week and just crazy to see all that God has been doing to get us to this point. And so if you have been here a little bit, you know that we've been in First um, John, in a series in First John. But I decided to take a little pause from that today and just share some things that I have learned in a long season of waiting. So, um I am 40, and if you had told me that I would be waiting until I was 40 to be married, I would probably have curled up in a little ball at 15 and just been like, what? Because that's when I started hoping and longing for marriage, like many of us probably, and it wasn't for 25 years until God just, it was the right timing. There was a lot that I learned along the way, but I wanted to share just a little bit. It'll be a kind of a different sermon today, but just some of the things, some of the little nuggets and truths that I've carried with me as I have um, been in times of waiting. And I'm sure all of us could think of something that either we are waiting for right now or that we have waited for for periods of time, and um, we can hold that out for uh, just the pondering that we're going to do together today. Maybe you're waiting for a job. Maybe you're waiting for just some financial security. Maybe you're waiting for whatever life was like before the pandemic. Maybe there is still a sense of waiting on what is it going to be like after and when is it going to go back to whatever normal was. Uh, maybe you're still waiting to see your family. Maybe there's a waiting of a new life direction, a vocation. Maybe there's waiting for love, for a relationship, for a child. Um, I think we can all say, like, yep, I'm waiting on something. And it fascinates me that all through Scripture, God seems to use waiting as one of his key tools of transformation in our lives. And so I just wanted to, without thinking that I have any kind of answers and any kind of, well, now that I'm engaged, any kind of, you know, well, this just seals the bow or whatever, but just some of my own processing as God has taught me a lot about waiting. But first, a poem. Um, again, if you've been around for a little while, you know that I like to write my way through processing. And so this is the result of that from all of last year. I wrote Pandemic Prayers and Poetry. And this is one that I wrote at the end of, um, well, in December of last year. Um, and we'll use this as kind of just fleshing out some of the thoughts on, like, what does it mean to wait? What might God be up to in our waiting? So this is called For Those Who Wait, and I believe it'll be on the screen. Oh, I have the screen. Oh, yes. Keep, you keep clicking. That's good. <laughs> what if the seemingly endless delay is full of gifts you wouldn't receive any other way? What if walking in the wilderness is the point? What if waiting in the stillness is the joy? What if the roots need to burrow down deeper so the fruit will be that much sweeter? What if the waiting makes the heart grow stronger, just as absence makes the heart grow fonder? What if it's less about getting to the other side 
and more about the slow transformation taking place deep inside. What if God hasn't forgotten his promise to you? He's simply inviting you to lean in and pay close attention to what he is about to do. What if when it seems like nothing is happening at all, that's right when God is saying, I am still faithful. And what if it looks really different than you thought it would, but even then it could still be really, really good. Yes, Lord, we are waiting today. We are people who know waiting in some way or another, and you are with us in the waiting, and you speak to us in ways during the waiting that maybe you don't in other times of our lives. So would you speak to us today in our waiting, in the things that we're holding on to, hoping for? Would you meet us today and give us something to cling to, something to hold to, as we wait on you and wait with you. In your name, amen. Thank you, Solomon, for reading from Genesis 15. That will kind of be our passage, although there are so many that I could choose from in Scripture, of stories of waiting, am I right? Stories of God making a promise and then taking a really long time to fulfill it. It was probably 10 years ago now that I started jotting down next to Genesis 15 in my Bible. I have a large margin Bible and I started jotting down, why does God have us wait? And just some different ideas of what, what is God up to in the waiting? Why would God have us wait? And so some of these come directly from my jotting in scripture. Um, I basically have five thoughts on why God has us wait. And so this passage here uh, was not the first time that God promised Abraham and Sarah a child. This is kind of the middle of the waiting. But he comes back to them again and says, remember, I promised. I'm going to do it. Remember, I'm going to give you a child. And this was when we think Abraham was about 86. But we know that a couple chapters before this, in Genesis 12, Abraham was 75, and that was when God gave the first promise, you will be a great nation. I will give you offspring, and they will be a blessing. And so Genesis 12, it begins, and Abraham's already 75. And then we know that here isn't the last time that God gave a promise, and then there was still more waiting, because we get to chapter 17, and in chapter 17, it says, I will make a covenant with you, Abraham, and I will multiply you greatly. Still no children. You shall be a father of a multitude. And in Genesis 17, it says that Abraham is 99 years old. From, 16, from chapter 16 to chapter 17, the end of the very last verse in chapter 16, it says Abraham was 86 years old, period. Start chapter 17. At 99 years old, God visited Abraham again. So there's just what is that, 12 years in between of zero. We don't get anything between chapter 16 and 17, between 86 years old and 99 years old. That's pretty frustrating. And ultimately, between 75 years old, Abraham in Genesis 12, and Abraham in Genesis 21, when Isaac finally comes, there's 25 years says that Abraham was 100 years old at this point, and Sarah was 90. So again, why? What in the world? Why did God promise something that he was going to take 25 years to flesh out? 
why would he take so long to bring something to fruition? Why did he just not say anything at all? Have you ever wondered that? Why would God promise something and then it would still be 25 years? What if he just hadn't told them anything at all? Would they have just kind of been, you know, wondering, like, maybe we just won't have kids? They had an actual promise from God. What happened in the meantime? What is happening in these long periods of our waiting when between chapter 16 and 17 we just get kind of nothing? And I certainly cannot pretend to have a lot of answers for us today. And I don't think everything has a reason. I don't think everything necessarily is like, and now we can script it and say, oh, this is exactly what God has been doing along the way. And that we just get some kind of, you know, on the other side, some perfect explanation of all of these times of what was God doing. Maybe we don't always get to know. But I do believe that there are some clues, there are some puzzle pieces that we can put together. While we don't know the mind of God, and while not everything maybe has a great reason, we can look back on our lives and we can see some of the things that, based on scripture, based on just stories of people we know, our own story, okay, I can trust, I can hold on to this. So, not that these are answers, but ways that God has met me and I offer them to you as maybe this is what you can hold on to in your times of waiting as well. So the first one here is why does God have us wait? To build our anticipation. Um, I picture it kind of like a kid on Christmas. They could come downstairs and see a gift under the tree and be extremely excited. It's Christmas Day. There's a gift under the tree for them. But what if their parent put the tree put the gift under the tree weeks months ahead of time and they got to go down every single day and wonder and shake the package and smell it and look at it and try to guess what was inside what if the parent had actually wanted to build some anticipation to build some hope to increase their excitement and expectation by putting the gift out so that they could wonder and hope and see that Maybe, maybe there was something good coming. But the problem here with this one, as it relates to us waiting, is that sometimes we are afraid of that kind of desire and of that kind of hope. We're afraid to want something that bad. We're afraid of disappointment. And we would rather maybe shut down our desires. We would rather say, nope, that's not something I want. Uh, I'm just going to lay that aside and say, I, I don't want to want. I don't want to have those desires. They scare me. I'm afraid of being disappointed. And that is incredibly valid. Abraham and Sarah even did this. It says twice um, for each of them that they laughed in God's face, that there was a laughing, a bitter, resentful, hurt disappointed kind of laughter. Abraham laughed at God when God gave him the promise again. Sarah laughed at God. No, that's not going to happen. No way. So Abraham and Sarah are allowed to feel disappointed and feel that kind of missed expectation, unmet expectation. And we are too. But we don't have to be afraid of our desire. I know this has been one of my biggest struggles that I thought I would just be disappointed, and I was afraid to hope and to hold out expectancy, and at the same time wondering, like, but God, has he really, 
has he really promised this to me? And I never, I never felt like I had a promise like Abraham and Sarah did. Just a hope, just a desire. And I would remind myself, and people would remind me, that our desires are not wrong. Our desires are not something for us to be afraid of. Likely, what many of you are waiting for right now, what many of you want, is something good, is something that God also wants you to want. Maybe it's a desire that he himself placed in you, that he wants you to cultivate this want, that he is a good father, like those parents on Christmas morning, who actually wants to build anticipation. He wants to meet our wants and our needs. And he puts those desires in us, and he's not annoyed or frustrated by our dreams, by our hopes. He actually is even stirring them up sometimes. And we see this with Abraham and Sarah, that he never shamed them. He never said, you should temper your, your desire here. He actually fans the flame of it and keeps coming back and saying, but remember, I'm coming, I'm going to do this. Keep holding on, keep waiting, keep hoping. He never says that they're wrong for their desire. And he actually lets their desire increase over these 25 years so that when Isaac finally came, their joy was really multiplied, I believe. And that's the second one. So the first, to build our anticipation. And the second one, to increase our joy and our gratitude. I'm sure you have received something at some point in your life that you waited a long time for and that maybe you took it for granted a lot less than you would have if it just kind of fell in your lap, that you were able to treasure it. And there's more of an understanding of like the value and the worth and the goodness of this after you waited a long time for it, that you were able actually to give more praise to God and to just stand back in awe and that your joy was heightened, that others' joy around you was heightened, and that you were able to just point back to God and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't deserve this. I didn't even know that it was actually going to happen. But look how God answered after all these years. And that's when my experience this week, I just get to keep saying, like, man, God is good. He didn't owe me anything. He never promised me anything. But he sure has blown me away. And it's been that much more of a gift, one that I will treasure, that I have just felt the increased expectation and joy. As Pastor Drew says often, maybe you've heard him say it, that shared joy is the best kind of joy. When we're able to rejoice with those who rejoice, there is just a cool sense of, wow, we all get to share in this praising of God together. And we can picture God sharing our joy like we just, Paul and I have seen just kind of this picture of God like delighting and laughing with us as um, we'll see that Sarah says later on, but to increase our joy and gratitude. And I don't know if this on the next slide, I don't know if this is necessarily an equation um, that I could apply to everything, but I think sometimes the longer we wait, the greater that we value the gift that we have. And I know the worth of this gift in a way that I might not have really appreciated or valued before. And I'm not saying that we don't value the things that we don't wait a long time for, but there is just a sweetness to that 
I'm really not going to take this for granted. And I've prayed, Lord, don't let me take this for granted because I know what it's like to not have this gift. So I don't want to take it for granted. And Abraham and Sarah really got to treasure Isaac in a way that maybe they wouldn't have if they'd had him at a normal age. It says in Genesis 21.1, one of my very favorite passages is because, of course, my name is Sarah. And so I've loved Genesis 21.1, and I've held on to this. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Just boom, right there. And then Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. That's the meaning of Isaac's name is laughter. So now their resentful, bitter laughter is turned to this uproarious, joyous laughter. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him in his old age, borne him a son in his old age. So God turned their laughter of resentment into laughter of joy. And then everyone else got to laugh with them, got to be joyful with them. And they got to share their joy because everyone got to witness a miracle. And that's our our third one today. What is God doing in the waiting? He's stirring it up so that it is a sheer miracle when it happens. Because doesn't it seem here that with Abraham and Sarah that God intentionally, we see in that last verse, that who would have thought that Abraham would have a child in his old age? God waited almost so long that it was very, very apparent that this was nothing short of a miracle. It was impossible. It was something undeniably that only God could have done. And why not? Why wouldn't God want to show off that way? Why wouldn't God want to do something that seemed surprising and seemed just amazing and something only could have been his doing? And that's kind of what I started to say about marriage for myself a couple years ago. If this happens, it'll be a miracle, and I'll know that it's only from God. (laughs) I will know that it's his fingerprints all over it and none of mine, because it felt kind of close to impossible that doing it my way didn't seem to be working. There was a lot of disappointment, a lot of heartbreak. But I, I did trust, I did believe that if this was something that God indeed had for me, that it would be nothing short of everyone seeing that it was a miracle, that it had his fingerprints on it and not mine. And I had to release some of what seemed possible and what even seemed like the normal age, the normal way, the normal time frame, and just know that, all right, I will trust and wait for and even expect a miracle and ask that it would be all of God's doing and not really any of mine. Because he is writing a good story with our lives, with your lives, and good stories take a long time to develop, right? We know that the best kind of stories are like those epic stories that you get to see the whole story, the whole long saga of of development. And I think that's what God is doing in our lives. The plot line, the story that he's developing takes a long time. A friend had told me a couple years ago when she got married in her late 30s too, she said, Sarah, you want to wait for a while. Um, Shervin, can you go to the next one? Or maybe I can. Yeah. So God, to do a miracle. And then the next one, you want to wait for a while. My friend Julie said, Sarah, you want to wait for a while. I wrote it on a post-it note and I thought, all right, that's God. That's a miracle. I want to wait for a while. 
And so God does build that anticipation, waiting for wow. The wow factor is when it's only God could be attributed to this. And there's also the wow of not settling, of not taking matters into my own hands, of not saying that I am just going to make do with something less than maybe what all that God has for me. And Paul is not perfect, but he is a miracle. And I know those of you who are married know that there is a, a right matchness that does feel like a miracle. And so it is a, an undeniable picture of God's fulfillment and God's bringing to fruition something. And I started to say, and maybe you can hold on to this too, a few years ago, I know it's going to be good, so I will wait for however long it takes. That's God. I know it's going to be good, so I will wait for however long it takes. Can you say that about whatever it is that you're waiting for today? I know it's going to be good. Even if it looks different than I thought it would, I know it's going to be good, so I will wait for however long it takes. But boy, that is a prayer of surrender, right? That is a prayer of releasing our expectations and even our desires. And this is the fourth one that I have been pondering along the way. One of the reasons God has us in periods of waiting is so that we want the giver more than the gift. You can go to that next one. So that we want the giver more than the gift. And this is definitely one of the hardest parts of waiting. The letting go and saying, but what if it doesn't happen? What then? What if, what if not? And in the waiting, I believe that this is God giving us that opportunity to say, well, what if not? And for us to say, even if not, even if not, I still trust him. To come to that point of surrender like Abraham and Sarah did, of saying, I still believe that he's faithful, and I still believe something more is going on than I can see just yet, and that there is more to longing for the gift. It is longing for the one who gives the gift. More about who God is than just what he does for us. And Abraham and Sarah getting to that place of, all right, this is less about what we want and more about who is with us anyway, regardless, even if not. And I told Paul the other day, like I'm sure many of you married people have experienced as well, that turns out you're not the answer to all of my problems. <laughs> used to think that. Used to think like, well, that will just kind of be the completion of everything. But no, God is enough all the time, more than I will ever experience in a marriage and the things that we want. We know that he is enough. Um, one of my favorite verses has been Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Her hope was not in Isaac. Her hope was not in Abraham. Her hope was in God, the one who had promised him faithful. So even if not, he is still enough. And that's that next one, that there is a surrender of saying, he will still be enough. Even if, even if not, he really is all that I need. I think it's Tim Keller who says, until you know that God, you don't know that God is all you need until he's all you have. Until he is really all you have and the one that you know you can fall back on. 
And I didn't know if God had promised me a husband, promised me marriage. Abraham and Sarah knew there was an actual promise there that they held on to. But we don't know. We don't know. God doesn't owe us anything. That's one of the hardest things in our times of waiting and disappointment. But what we do know is that he will be enough. And I pray that we experience that in a deeper way today, that he really can be enough in the waiting. This does not, having a ring on my finger now, does not minimize any of these 25 years of waiting, the pain, the, the loneliness, the struggle. That doesn't just go away. This isn't just a, and now everything is sealed up with a bow. God was enough, and he will continue to be enough because I'm, I'm of no imagination that marriage will just be this easy, simple thing. It's just different. But he will be enough. He has been enough. He will be enough. And there has been a deep transformation that's taken place inside because of the waiting, and that's the last one, that one of the reasons for our waiting is to transform us. Sherman, can you go to that next one? That there is something about waiting that is a tool like no other for our inner deep transformation. I was listening to a song this morning by Bethany Dillon, and she says a line that you can do more in my waiting than I can do in my working. You can do more in my waiting than I could ever do in my working. So he is doing a lot more in us than we even have eyes to see yet. There's no tool quite like that building of our grit and our patience and our perseverance and our hoping and our trusting and our longing and our surrendering and our waiting some more. There's no tool quite like it to build that muscle of hope and of saying you're still enough to build us into a transformed people. And again, I don't know if this is quite a correlation, but the deeper the roots, the sweeter the fruit. That is something that I've said. All right, Lord, let's burrow down deeper. Let's get these roots nice and deep in you and in, again, that trust and that perseverance. The deeper the roots, the sweeter the fruit. And that fruit, again, isn't just the gift and the fulfillment. The fruit is our transformation and our perseverance and our grit and our steadfastness. That's a beautiful word, steadfastness. God is steadfast, and he wants to build steadfastness in us. So yes, God is writing a good, good story. And wouldn't you rather read an epic novel that has an incredible storyline that spans years and years and decades and decades and know that it, was, it took a long time in the making? God's a good author. He's writing a well-crafted plot, and he's working on our character development in sweet and gentle ways. And we don't always get to know the things that he promises. We don't get to necessarily have all the reasons, but the waiting is actually a really sweet thing. So I'm going to close us and read the poem again and Justice you can come on up and we'll just take a moment um, as I read this and then Justice will lead us in a song about waiting and allow it to just be a time to kind of seal up okay Lord there's there's one thing that you want me to to hold on to in my waiting here what is it maybe it's a line from what I'll read to us again maybe it's one of those reasons to increase our joy to allow for greater anticipation um, 
I will read for those who wait and we'll end in a closing song. What if the seemingly endless delay is full of gifts you wouldn't receive any other way? What if walking in the wilderness is the point? What if waiting in the stillness is the joy? What if the roots need to burrow down deeper so the fruit will be just that much sweeter? What if the waiting makes the heart grow stronger just as absence makes the heart grow fonder? What if it's less about getting to the other side and more about the slow transformation taking place deep inside? What if God hasn't forgotten his promise to you? He's simply inviting you to lean in and pay close attention to what he is about to do. What if when it seems like nothing is happening at all? That's right when God is saying, I am still faithful. And what if it looks really different than you thought it would, but even then it could still be really, really good. Amen. May it be so.